Hello and welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Alpha podcast. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined uh, today again by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, John. Excellent. What do you make of what's been going on in the markets recently? Another crazy week? Uh, well, <laughs> in some ways, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Um, I think... Uh, I think some of the concerns that are being talked about, you know, valuation of of uh, certain certain sectors, certain companies, and I think the general sort of macro drop, um, backdrop of inflation is is something that that people should be concerned about. I mean, the bottom line really for the last few years in terms of the stock market is that is that things can stack up. If interest rates and inflation stays low, because shares in general have been giving investors a inflation beating return on their money. If inflation is to rise, valuations are quite high on many, many shares, and you could end up with, you know, equity yields, earnings yields, free cash flow yields actually being less than inflation, which would make equities look quite unattractive in an absolute sense, maybe obviously going to be better than bonds in a relative sense. Um, but it would be it would be enough to seriously damage, I think, the the share prices of highly rated growth companies. Yeah, it would certainly uh, it would certainly get in the way of this sort of uh, widespread belief that that you know the stock market is uh, the only direction is is up at the moment, which seems to be the basis upon which many people have been entering the market recently. Yeah, I, I wouldn't see it as a bad thing actually, because I think I think there are there are shares which are quite highly rated, but they do have good good growth prospects, and I think a, a, a pullback would be would be quite good if for those who wanted to put fresh cash to work. Um, I think the long the long term case for certainly some of the, the established tech companies I, I think is still pretty good. And I, I don't think the valuations are excessive given where we are with inflation and interest rates. But you know that's a big if. I think what's what's spooking people at the moment is you know everyone's talking about bond yields in America. And how quickly those yields have backed up, but you know we're talking about you know backing up from one percent to one point three percent, which is historically very low, and it shows how fragile, in some ways, the foundations of this bull market in shares actually is. Yeah, absolutely, it does feel like there's uh, there's a bit of fragility um, creeping into uh, to markets. Let's talk about some companies, Phil, um, and perhaps perhaps we should start um, in the UK. Um, and and, and a, a sector which I, I guess you would argue is, is relatively out of favour, tobacco, um, not exactly the highest ESG scoring uh, sector. Um, you've written about British American tobacco this week and, 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 and you're interested. What, what, what's, uh, what, what's compelling about the bat story at the moment? Just how incredibly cheap the shares are. Um, you know... We can we can have the debate about the ethics and stuff of tobacco um, <clears throat> another day, but and I can understand totally why 
some investors that just would completely dismiss tobacco. I, I would perhaps be be one of those from an ethical point of view. But if you look, if we just look at, if I was to put a blank sheet, if I was to put not a blank sheet of paper, if I was to put a sheet of paper with 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 some numbers, you know, fine, you know, some financial numbers and ratios, and so look at this business here, making forty four percent profit margins, um, generating lots of cash. It's not growing much. In fact, its core business is going backwards, but it's cutting costs and its profits are holding up. And you can buy this for less than eight times earnings uh, with a dividend yield of more than 8% and a free cash flow yield of more than 12%. I think a few people might be interested. You then tell them it's a tobacco company. They, they don't seem to be, like, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not interested. And I, I found, you know, these have been a terrible investment for the last three years. You know, I think, I think the share price, British American, I mean, British American Tobacco bought Reynolds American in 2017. Huge deal. Put it into the American market in a big way. And, it's, you know, the American market is by far, you know, the biggest tobacco market in the world and British American Tobacco you know along with Atria and Altria sorry and uh, Philip Morris you know they're, they're the big guns in, in, in that market and the shares have been terrible ever since they're, they're off about 40 percent and even even with uh, the payment of dividends you know you've made you've made a loss of you know more than 25 25 percent on these shares and you know, I, 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 the results came out. I think Wednesday they came out, and they they were all right. You know, they they pretty pretty resilient results. You know, dividend dividend was good. Strip out the effects of exchange rates. There's some there's some growth in there. A little bit of growth in there, and then. I I, I read a comment that said that the shares sold off because. Analysts were disappointed with the guidance for only mid-single-digit earnings per share growth at constant currencies. I'm thinking, what on earth do you expect on a PE of 7.8? You know, you, you, there's shares in the market doing that. They're on 30 times earnings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, do, do you think, though, I mean, you know, as, as you say, the results were decent. And, uh, you know, um, none of these tobacco companies have performed especially badly from a financial perspective, you know, for, for the last few years. You know, it's one, it's one of those sort of defensive habits, as it, as it were, um, even though, you know, there is a sort of general trend away from smoking. Um, do, do you think, though, you know, these shares are cheap because people are so put off by the fact that they're tobacco shares? That, that, that because of this big push into ESG, because of the threat of regulation, they, they're always going to be that cheap. That, that, that there isn't really uh, a catalyst for a re-rating here. Yeah, I think, I think you've, you're pretty close to hitting the nail on the head. I, I, they're like the sort of family member that no one talks about. <laughs> um, you, don't, you don't want to really admit that you're related to them. Um, yeah, I, I think ESG is a, a big part of this. Is it is it worth but is it worth buying though? I mean, you know, so the shares have, have sold off as you say. You'd have lost a lot of money, twenty five percent after dividends over three years. Is it now worth buying them just for the dividend? No, is the answer. Um, if if we look at the forecasts out there, 
certainly for the next two or three years, you've got an 8.2% yield that ex that is expected to grow. British American tobacco has always been good at essentially offsetting revenue declines with price increases and cost cutting. And it sort of, it's been very good at running hard to stand still. And, you know, it has a portfolio of tobacco, you know, traditional tobacco brands that are quite well sought after by consumers and they have a lot, quite a lot of pricing power um, in, in these brands. And they also, you know, there's some quite, you know, if you, you the bear case is so easy with this, but actually you start looking, looking at the results and, you know, there was a lot of, you know, concern not so long ago about bans on menthol, menthol cigarettes and British American tobacco has got a very big brand in, in America called Newport men, menthol cigarettes and the European Union has banned menthol cigarettes and what's happened as far as British American tobacco is concerned in the European Union and Turkey which has also banned menthol cigarettes is that the, the vast majority of the customers have switched to vaping and I'd switch to British American tobaccos, vaping products, or um, you know, glow sticks and things like and things like that. And um, they've not lost out from it. And you know, that gives them quite a lot of confidence that if if the um, the FDA in America bans menthol cigarettes, they think they think they can cope with it. And at the moment, they don't think the FDA is going to ban menthol cigarettes. What, what about vapes? I mean, is that is, is is vapes a significant part of their business now? No, I mean it's grow it's growing. I mean, you've got the vapes, so you've got the vapes, you've got the glow sticks, and then you've got like the sort of things like snuff and chewing tobacco and that, and that kind of stuff. That that together has been growing at about that bundle has been growing at about fifteen percent last year, but added together, it's only about ten percent of, of sales. It's about two and a half billion of, of annual sales on twenty twenty five billion of total sales, and it's not making any money. Um, so the the, com the company. Um, it's, it's a bit like yeah, it's quite got some similarities with Disney in, in some ways from switching, you know, switching one product to another and you end up taking a loss. We'll talk about Disney in a minute. But so you're switching from from a traditional tobacco product to a to a what's called a non-combustible. And so you switch the revenues, but you have to put a load of cost into it to promote the service and drive the brand that you're not making any money out of it. Now, the hope is that British American tobacco's losses on things like sticks and vaping devices, um, they've peaked. And that the losses, the losses should start coming down. We should start turning a profit. Now, if they start turning a profit, um, and, and their aspiration is to go from two and a half billion in sales currently to 5 billion of sales in four years time, five years time. 
and you get some traction on that. And the traditional tobacco business underpinned by those strong brands, particularly in the American market, keep that business steady, then this is a business where the profits aren't, aren't going to collapse. And, you know, they can probably keep, keep at least keep paying that dividend and maybe grow it. And, you know, whether, you know, whether these are the kind, I think the days of these, these companies being great compounders as, you know, as tobacco companies were maybe 20 years ago, they were fantastic investments for income funds. Um, I'm not sure we're going to return to those type of type of days, but, the, but, you know, if you are, if you can put aside an ethical concern, these shares look really, really quite compelling. Current currency, there's currency risk, but you know, you look at the valuation of it, you think so much bad news is priced into this. Yeah, yeah. Can it get any worse? Who knows? Should we talk about Disney? I mean, there's a lot of bad news that that's uh, that's hit them uh, recently. Um, I mean, COVID has been pretty pretty bad for their their sort of uh, theme parks and and cruise businesses, but then they've they've obviously been investing heavily in their streaming service and, and it's going great guns. What, what, what are your thoughts on Disney that you've, uh, you've shared with us in Alpha this week? Well, I've been asking a lot of questions on Disney. It's a, it's a business that I, I like. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I struggle to think of an entertainment business um, with such a sort of wide portfolio of assets and products that has been so good at, you know, resonating with millions of millions of people and making lots of money out of it than, than Disney. I can't think of a better better example. No, no, I, I don't think there is. And, and, and you know, it's, it's obviously bought very well to connect with even more millions of people uh, through, through Marvel and, uh, and other acquisitions like that. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at what they paid for Marvel and Pixar. They, they're a great deal. And I, I think the, 20, the 21st century Fox deal is also a very, very, very good deal for it. And this this move into streaming, you know, makes makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think I think we already know. Most people already know that that, that live live television is is dying. Um, cable television, satellite television is dying. Cord cutting is very much a theme and also you know this is there's, there's lots of forces at work here and some of it's about obviously it's about content but a lot of it's about distribution and you know the great thing that you've got the great thing that disney has got that perhaps netflix is a long way short of is that disney owns huge amounts of the, virtually all the content that it's distributing and obviously, when you distribute it over the internet via an app, um, you're cutting out the middleman. So you're not you're not having to rely on cable companies, um, satellite companies to distribute your product. And so you so potentially you can make more money out of it because you've got a lower cost of distribution. And also, you've got a much wider sense of distribution because you can send it anywhere in the world that's got an internet connection. And clearly, this is this is this is going down well. Um, you know, we've got we're now at what ninety five million 
subscribers for Disney Plus, and a year ago they were about 25 million. And there's other parts of it as well. There's the sort of ESPN, the sporting. They've got a very good sporting um, sporting content on ESPN. And then they've got another business called Hulu, which again is doing doing quite nice. It's video on demand, and also they've got a very profitable, very very sort of big revenue base on essentially a satellite service over the internet. So you don't need a connection. I think the thing that interests me is that. You know, we just talked about British American tobacco and, you know, shifting consumers from one product to the next. I think there's a lot of this going on here. You know, Disney Disney is shifting people that were buying its products through Comcast or DirecTV. Or going to, or going to the cinema. Or going to the cinema. And that's another interesting point on the cinema because, I mean, especially in sort of COVID times, you know, does does Disney need cinemas when it's got you know when it's got Disney Plus, you know why 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 give away a chunk of margin to, um you know big cinema operators when you you can just distribute it direct to direct to households and you know in their own in their own living rooms, and that's that's a, a massive plus. Uh, I think you know I think there is an element though of just of recycling of revenue you know. Reven- moving moving revenue from one platform to another, but I think there is there is growth as well. I just I don't think there's anything wrong with recycling revenue. Um, you know, if if it's because of competitive dynamics. So you know, if you've got a, a division, and that if you don't recycle that revenue to something that is is kind of future proofed, somebody else is going to come and take that revenue away from you. So you're better off doing it yourself. Uh, you know, I agree. I think that's, uh, you know, this, and the same does apply to British American tobacco. If people are stopping smoking, switching to vaping, have the vapes to sell them. And, and they, they arguably were a bit late into that game, um, which, which yeah. we're perhaps seeing now. But Disney seemed very proactive, to be very proactively doing this. It is, but, it, but I, think, I, think, I don't think it's unfair to say that there's quite a lot of defensiveness about it mm. rather than... Mm. You know, Going on the front foot and growing, but they are, but they are growing. I mean, you talk of defensiveness. I mean, I, I would, I would look at the state of the streaming market where there, there is bundles of competition and, and, as you say, competition for content. You've got to be a little bit defensive in that market. It is, uh, it is a bit dog eat dog at the moment. Oh, yeah, you have to. Disney had to do this. You know, you just look at the momentum of Netflix and and Amazon. And then you look at, you know, everyone else, Apple's trying to get in on it, you know, HBO, other other couple of other big operators out there trying to trying to get in. They have to do this. This is this is the future. And they won't all be winners. But I think, you know, sooner or later Disney has got to make a return on this money. And it's also got to keep investing. But I think, but I think where it where it has where it's where it's got an advantage is that it's got the production assets, it's got the brands, uh, you know, like Star Wars. I mean, you can just roll out Star Wars, Pixar, Marvel. You know, you just go all day about the sort of content that they can they can bring out. And they're, they're talking of bringing out, you know, 100-plus new titles a year on Disney+. Plus. It, it, it is interesting, you know, in terms of... Uh, you mentioned Star Wars. So there was a big um, Disney streaming launch event, what was it, about a month ago? Um, 
And they announced a lot of Star Wars spin-offs there. Most of them seem to be TV programmes. In fact, the vast majority of them seem to be, be TV rather than film content, which sort of supports yeah. that idea that, that the shift is towards sort of that, that you know, at-home uh, consumption rather than cinema, which are those sort of you know, one-off filmic events. Yeah, and this is, this is where you start to get bullish. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of trying to balance, balance it out here. You sort of the defensive, and then you've got the sort of, you know, the competitive advantage that this company has got versus the, versus the competition. The other thing, you know, the, the, the other interesting thing as well is that they've, they've added an extra arrow to, uh, to Disney Plus with something called Star, which is adding more content um, and also adding more local content. So you go into, so it allows them to differentiate the product, allows them to localize um, and tailor the product to, to various markets across the world. And I think that that's a good thing. The other, the thing, the other thing as well is, is that they're giving this away at the moment. You know, if you, if you, if you look at the, the average revenue per user on Disney plus at the moment, it's about $4. Now, Netflix is, I think Netflix in HD in America is $13.99. Hulu video on demand is, is about $13.5. And there's no doubt that there's considerable scope to, um, to, uh, to raise the price. Yeah, I mean, a lot of competitors are raising prices. Netflix prices are going up at the end of the month, I think. Uh, Sky, Sky has put its subscription bundle price up as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that's a good idea. I, there's, there's, there's going to be losers here, John. You know, if you, you know, people, if you, if you look at what, what went on, you know, not so long ago, you know, people would get, you know, in this country they would get Sky or Virgin, and you know, in America Comcast or Direct TV, and it was expensive. But you start looking at all these different streaming services now and start adding them up. And it's getting pretty close to what people were paying with satellite and cable. And I, and I think that, you know, it's those that have got content um, that are, that are going to win here. Uh, and I think Disney, I think Disney's probably got the, you know, I think Netflix content's pretty good. But I think Disney's content, you know, it's particularly when you package it together with things like ESPN and, and uh, you know, and, and the sort of localized, it's a very competitive offer. And I, I see Disney as, as one of the winners. And it's quite clearly the stock market feels the same way. Mm, shares, the shares are not overly expensive, though. But, well, yeah, the, the problem at the moment is, is, that, is that the theme parks are, are closed. And, you know... In a good year, these theme parks will make seven billion, seven billion dollars of profit. Yeah, they they lost money last year. So you know, you start looking at if you start looking at um, Disney on the basis of recovered profits in the theme parks, which might might take a while. You know, I think it's fair to say that you're going to get some social distancing in in these kind of places when they open up. So it could take an, you know, another two or three years before we get back to what they were making 2018, 2019. But <clears throat> yeah, it would be, it would be sort of sub 30 times earnings 
on, you know, if you look at the outlook for, you know, the entertainment business and then recovered earnings on the theme parks, it would be, it would be coming out at less than 30 times earnings. I think the other thing as well that hardly ever gets talked about, you know, everyone talks about the theme parks and the films and the, and, and, and the Disney Plus and so on, but the merchandise business, you know, the T-shirts, the figures, um, the films, the, sorry, the video games, the books, the apps, you know, that's an unbelievable business. And, it, you know, that's making nearly 55% profit margin. And, you know, for those, for those, you know, those who listen to us regularly, we, we talk about Games Workshop quite a lot on this podcast because it's been such a successful business. And, you know, people look at Games Workshop margins and think they're, question whether they're sustainable. Now, obviously, Games Workshop and Warhammer is not, it doesn't have the same global brand appeal as Disney does. But what Disney's commercial business, commercial products business shows, it shows how profitable a business like that can be when it's scaled and grown and it's and it's got traction. So for those of you who think that Games Workshop margins perhaps are temporarily high, which I don't know, they could be, I think something like Disney, which obviously is in a different league, shows you that the economics of this business are um, can be very, very good indeed. Indeed. Um, 30 times earnings, albeit with recovered profits in there doesn't seem an enormously high price for a business with such quality beneath it, one, arguably one of the world's best companies. So we, we've got a few minutes left. Should we talk about PepsiCo, uh, which uh, yeah. you've also written about this week. Again, another another global brand. This is a business that, you know, talked a lot about, and I've written a lot about consumer staples companies. And, you know, how some of them have been very sluggish growers and, and they've lacked product innovation and and you know and that's why they've they've become derated and they've they've not performed very well and they now look quite good value um and i, I was having a look at pepsi's results which came out at the back end of last week uh, pepsi's a business i like you know it's got some very strong brands and i think there's a lot of things that are quite encouraging going on in in pepsi and I think the, one of the one of the real sort of improvements is they've got their North American drinks business growing again. Um, that business has been seriously underperforming uh, in terms of revenue and volume growth, and um, that's going again quite nicely. Its margins are so low. You know, you look at you look at the sort of profit margins that Coca Cola is making, and you know. Which is, you know, sort of, I don't know, top of my head, it's sort of twenty-five percent plus. And Pepsi's Pepsi's North American—that's operating margin. Pepsi's North American business is making nine percent. You know, and you look at the strength of the brands that it's got, and then you look at what it can do going forward. And they they want to get up from sort of nine percent to the mid-teens. Um, I think they've got a very good chance of doing that now. There's, there's, there's some momentum in this business. They've put a lot of investment in things like energy drinks. Uh, they bought Rockstar last year. Uh, they've got Gatorade. Um, they've got a, a, a sort of caffeine joint venture with Starbucks. And that is, this is high margin 
decent growth potential. And then Mountain Dew is going to get launched into the energy market as well. But I think where, where, where else is, is, is very positive is on the sort of the food side. And um, they've been buying up sort of more healthier brands and um, sort of things like, you know, like fruit crisps and um, pop, popcorn. And they, last month they uh, announced a, a venture with Beyond Meat for, um, for plant-based snacks. And, you know, Pepsi, most people think about Pepsi as a, as a drinks company, but it actually makes most of its profits out of snacks. Things like Fritos, Cheetos, Doritos, Walker's Crisps, that kind of thing. And these businesses are ticking along quite nicely. And one of the things that you need if you're going to move these healthier brands forward is that you need marketing clout and you need distribution. And I think Pepsi's got some quite good things going on here. And it's it's a good business. It's it's you know it's profit good profits. The profits could be a lot better, the cash generation, and it's a very reliable dividend payer. You know, it's it's increased its dividend for 49 years. In a row. So, so here's here's something of a, a sort of philosophical investing question uh, that, that, that this brings up. So you've got you've got as you mentioned Coca Cola, which is a very high margin, high quality business already, and you've got PepsiCo, which um, has some great brands but seems to you know be a bit, bit you know of an underperformer. But there's scope to improve those margins, and presumably that that potentially underpins a re-rating as well. Which one do you go for? I would, I would, I would have, I would own Pepsi rather than Coke. So buying the potential quality rather than the the current quality. Yeah, I mean, Coca Cola is a fantastic business. Uh, you know, it's it's everywhere. It's 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 you know, it is the strongest drinks soft drinks company in the world. I just, I just think that Pepsi's got more strings to its bow with the with the food side, um, with the snack side. Um, I think, and I think there's more potential for for improvement. It's an underperforming business that that can get better. I don't think Coke's a bad business. I mean, I can, you know, if people own Coke shares, you know, largely as it's largely a sort of a steady income income play now. I and mean, you could say that Pepsi is pretty similar, but I think I think Pepsi. There are signs now, and the signs have been building for the last probably six to nine months. There's a there's growing momentum in this business. I quite I quite like it. Sounds like proper value investing, Phil. Proper value investing, not just buying any old no. rubbish. I don't. It is the, the the value being it's paying a nice income, and there's potential for for a profit recovery here or a margin recovery here. That sounds like yeah. proper value investing yeah. to me. Quite well, yeah, yeah. But who knows? Algie and I discussed it last week. The definition of value investing seems to be uh, what everyone wants it to be uh, these days. Yeah, I think that's a <laughs> comment. Um, okay, so that, no, that's a good one. So it's staying in the fantasy sip, and as, as you've written here, the, the shares are not that expensive and lots of potential uh, recovery uh, to come. Um, interesting. That's great, Phil. Uh, it's been wonderful talking to you, uh, as usual. And um, we'll be back next week uh, to... Uh, to talk more oh, yeah. uh, more markets. Have a good week, Phil. Yeah, you too. And uh, thank you all for listening. Speak to you later. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.